hey, 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 that would never happen. No one uses social media for warfare. No one's hacking election sites. No one's trying to do that. It's just, it's it's a pipe dream, definitely, totally. Oh my, oh my God, did we get Vladimir Putin on the show today? <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good get, right? That's I. You, you never realize it when he's gonna pop on, but he just hacks his way in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Orientalist Express podcast. On this show, we bring together several young scholars to discuss a variety of topics related to the Middle East, American foreign policy, and international relations. I am Nicholas Hayen, the founder of the Orientalist Express blog and website. Joining us today in the virtual studio is just one of our usual contributors this time. Stephen Howard joins us today. Say hello, Stephen. Well, hello. But I do join with a phalanx of my own opinions, so I mean, are we really alone? Wow, a whole phalanx. Phalanx of them. amazing. Yeah. Be sure to check out the official Orientalist Express website at orientalistexpress.com to read more about the team. And don't forget to view our latest post about the usage of the term terrorism, which is written by none other than our very own Stephen Howard. This episode is all about Iran, specifically the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. So the JCPOA limits Iran's nuclear weapons program. As part of the U.S. contribution to the deal, the United States president must recertify the deal every 90 days and confirm that Iran is indeed living up to this agreement. After twice certifying the deal, the president has finally decided that Iran wasn't living up to, quote, the spirit of the agreement due to its dangerous and destabilizing activities that are not of a nuclear nature. Though he agreed that Iran is in compliance with the deal because everyone around him, even his own Chief of Staff and Secretary of Defense was saying that he, Iran is in compliance with the deal. Despite that, he has still kicked this to Congress to make the final decision about adding sanctions back onto Iran. So where does this leave us? <laughs> you know, I, I heard a pretty good uh, tidbit about this. It's like, you know what? I'm going to go to my uh, auto loan person or I'm going to go to my, I don't know, the person who got me a mortgage for my house and tell him, you know what? You're not living up to the spirit of our deal. The spirit of our deal is different than what we wrote down there, so I want new contract. I, I want everything to be completely renegotiated, and I don't know. It's just You a, heard that on <laughs> Rational Security. I did, 100% yeah, pirating did. that from them, yes. Uh, that, <laughs> that all being said, it's kind of nuts that um, when uh, I listened to the announcement that Trump made, and when he was going through it, he pointed out two different small abrogations from... Iran's point, Iran's standpoint on where they went over the amount of, I believe it was, a material they were allowed, and Iran immediately rectified both of those situations. So it's, I, I don't know how you don't live up to, I don't know how in a legal agreement, something such as the spirit of the agreement has any sway whatsoever, but that being said, I was on a different podcast, I believe, this one was called, uh, God, I'm going to forget, oh, Deep State Radio, because I'm part of the Deep State as well, or I try to be at least, but <laughs> uh, they were talking about how Trump is really just doing this because when the Congress put into play this idea of having it have to be reauthorized over and over and over. They were doing that with the expectation that Hillary Clinton was going to be elected president because 
I don't care who says it, nobody in their right mind thought that Donald Trump would win that election. For the most part, that's exactly true. And so, which it kind of shows, I guess it sort of tips their hand a little bit about what they were thinking about back then. Yeah, they wanted to because force they, her to recertify. Assumed that, they, of course, assumed that whoever was in office, would probably be a Democrat, would just be recertifying it. Because, of course, they would. It's a pretty decent deal. I mean, it does not do anything except for their nuclear program, but everything outside of the nuclear pro nuclear program was outside of the scope of the deal itself. So it's kind of unfair to criticize and say, well, you know, Iran is launching ballistic missiles, mm -hmm. they're continuing to support terrorist groups um, and export their ideology. Definitely. Um, well, of course, we're still upset that they're doing that, but that was never part of the deal to begin with. So it's a little unfair to criticize that as not being part of the deal when People, they never said it was going to be in the first place. And that's the problem, actually, I have with sanctions, is that sanctions are supposed to be, and that's what we used on the Iranian uh, mil, uh, nuclear program, was targeted sanctions that were started by the Bush administration and substantially ramped up by the Obama administration, which forced the Iranian economy into a state of decline. They had incredibly high amounts of... Uh, uh, their money was basically worthless at that point. But the thing about sanctions is they have to be com specifically targeted for a single thing. They have to, you have to know what is wrong so that you can fix the sanctions or the country that is being imposed on them has to know what they're doing wrong so they can fix the sanctions. It can't be unclear or you're never going to actually change their behavior because you're not actually attacking them. You're just causing them a lot of pain. And in this sense, I, I don't understand the idea that Republicans, that some Democrats, and that Trump has about, well, we it's we should have just gone for the gold. We should have gone for regime change with these sanctions. Or, like you were saying, that they should follow into different things. The nuclear program, although this was what the sanctions were about, they're breaking the missile program or ICBM treaties, so we should keep the sanctions on until the ICBM treaties are done as well, and that's, you're expanding the scopes of the sanctions so that they don't mean anything. You're just imposing arbitrary pain on them until you're going for what the end goal of that is, and who knows what the end goal of it is anymore. Some people say now, oh, well, it's the nuclear program, the missile program, and human rights. Some people say it's just the nuclear program. Some people say just the military aspects. Some people say it's regime change. So what are we, what are the point of sanctions anymore? And that's what I want to ask anybody who's in support of reimposing these sanctions. To what end? Are you trying to cause, are you trying to topple Iranian regime? Are you trying to fulfill multiple objectives with a single instrument? And it's it's implausible that this would work for that sort of stuff. And to the point of regime change, if you start pushing for that, or if you start imposing sanctions to the point where Iran believes that they will have a forced regime change, whether it's military or economic pressure to the point of regime change, by doing that, that is going to increase their desire to get a nuclear weapon because you get a nuclear yeah, weapon yeah. in order to prevent someone from imposing regime change on you you don't get a weapon to use it 100 percent. that's it's completely accurate i mean and that's i, I remember in 2009 or 2010 i want to say when i was sitting there watching this all happen and going you know what if 
Iran had a nuclear missile or nuclear weapons, they would be immune to regime change, and all of this would be arbitrary, it wouldn't be worth anything, and they could go about their lives as they want. And that's what the administration right now is basically proving, like you're saying, the only way that they're going to survive our administration or our push at them to, I don't know, change their way is by getting a nuclear weapon. I hope that's not the answer that Iran takes from it, I will say that, because obviously we don't need any more nuclear weapons in the world, and I think that Iran is absolutely perfectly positioned to take advantage of the Trump administration's ignorance on this issue, because the sanctions were really what were hurting them was the that they got Russia and China and the EU to, you know, join these sanctions. And Russia and China and the EU and everyone are basically looking at the U.S. and going, yeah, fuck you all, we're gonna go and do our own thing, so our sanctions are gonna mean absolutely nothing. It's not gonna be like Cuba, where they're right off our coast. It doesn't matter if we're sanctioning them at this point. Yeah, exactly, because this was a multilateral, multinational agreement, and so you can't just have one country, I mean, as substantially you know, influential as we are, the United States backs out, and all the other countries are still probably gonna go along with keeping the sanction removed at the very least russia and china because they have you know a direct incentive to see the united states influence in the region decrease even further and the european union now is starting to benefit from the markets that are being opened up in iran so i don't see any good reason why they would go along with us especially because then they would also be labeled as deal breakers and i don't think they too much care about being labeled as deal breakers i mean let's be honest the total impact that this is going to have is going to be through asymmetric means it's going to everything is going to be kind of i don't know no one's going to look at the eu or china or russia or even the united states after this is gone and go they broke a deal we will never work with them again it's you're still going to work with them you're still going to work with them but the trust that you could have had is going to be eroded because i mean at some point you know sure the countries that are going to trust us they're going to more or less trust us to at least do the basics of what we say we're going to do and not immediately pull a 180 but nobody really trusted us anyways they could at least trust that that our interests would we would understand our own interests i guess you could say i don't know about that clearly we've shown that we can't even understand what our own interests are anymore 100% agree that we don't know what our interests are anymore, but I think that's a problem that's spanned back for a long time now. You talk to people that uh, talk about global strategy and geostrategy, etc., etc., long-term strategy, and there's... God, we haven't had that since the Nixon administration. Which, I mean, (laughs) say what you want about the Nixon administration, Kissinger had a really good idea of where he wanted the country to go. We lost a lot of that trust beforehand when you're talking about, like, Ukraine. When we had the... I forget what agreement it is, but the Minsk agreement in Ukraine that happened in, oh, 98 or 93, I can't remember exactly, but we all guaranteed that if Ukraine gave up their nuclear weapons, then nobody would impinge on the sovereignty of Ukraine, which then Russia impinged on, and then the the EU impinged on, then Russia impinged on again, then NATO impinged on, then NATO overthrew them, then Russia came in and invaded them, and... 100%, 100%, there's no sovereignty in Ukraine anymore. And then you have Libya, where we guaranteed, again, Libya's sovereignty if they give up nuclear weapons in 
I don't remember when that exactly was, or they stopped trying to work on them. Well, that lasted about as long as our collective memory in a democracy lasted. So not very long. And I don't know anyone who's expecting any democracy to stand up to their long-term goals anymore, or interests even. Yeah, it's unfortunate that it's really hammered home the fact that essentially if you want to guarantee that your regime will stick around, you need to have a nuclear weapon. At the very least, if you want to guarantee that no external forces will directly come in and take over your country. I suppose there are still internal there are still internal methods that could be used to destabilize your country. If you can't tell where it's coming from, then you know, you can't bomb something that you don't understand. One of the big problems that I think with this is a theoretical one in that a while ago, Professor Keenan advocated a idea where democracies couldn't fight wars correctly. He didn't like the idea of total surrender or um, unconditional surrender. He thought that there should always be a diplomatic solution to the end of a fight so that both parties had an interest in keeping that peace there. The United States and other democracies have completely learned the wrong lesson where we don't do anything without unconditional surrender. And he thinks that that disallows us from pursuing limited military goals in different countries. I mean, honestly, the only limited military fight that I can think of in the last hundred years was probably the 92, or what is it, 90 Iraq War, where we went in there specifically to remove Iraq from Kuwait and then stopped. And everyone hated that we stopped. And he had to justify it, and he had to raise taxes because of it, and it was shown that unconditional surrender is good politically. And this kind of transitions over into the sanctions that we're putting on two different countries. For instance, if these sanctions, like what I was saying, if the sanctions have a multidimensional aspect to them, they're not useful. But And if they're targeted, they're very useful. But we have just shown that we cannot put sanctions on a country without letting those sanctions bleed into every other different area. We couldn't sanction China for their military program or if they had something going on wrong with their military program. And we couldn't give those sanctions up without addressing their human rights program, which is completely separate. But we can't justify taking those off. And it's like the subsidies idea where if you subsidize a business, the hardest time to take away a subsidy is when they actually don't need it because they can justify it. In this case, we try to take away the sanctions from a country that gave up their nuclear missile program, and we say, but the missiles, and the regime, and the human rights. And so we're, what we're looking for is an unconditional surrender of Iran. And I think that's... I, Nick, I don't know if that's something that you see as an inevitable outcome of any other sanctions on nuclear weapons or any other thing, but it just makes me really uneasy about the use of sanctions in the world. I mean, I understand to a, to a degree, but um, at the same time, is that a failure of democracy or a failure of politicians to just adequately spin what they're doing as a success that most people can get involved, can get on board with? I think it's a failure of democracy in that. I mean, yeah, the politicians should be able to, I guess we should say, spin it to make them look better for it, but... It's incredibly hard to go back to your constituents and say, hey, we just spent a couple billion dollars to, you know, do this one limited thing. 
and that's all that happened. Well, is the problem still there? Well, I guess the problem is technically still there. It, we, we weren't targeting that problem, but nobody's going to be able to look at that and go, yeah, we did our one objective. They're going to look at it and go, we did not fulfill all the objectives that we were supposed to have in that area. And you have to justify that to your constituents. And So to that point, I often wonder that, would Hillary Clinton have done a very similar move had she been in office? I mean, she obviously would have said the deal is great and it did what it's supposed to do. But then do you think that she would have basically done a similar thing to Trump and just said, but here's all the things that they need to do and we need to tackle that now? You know, that's a great question. Because I... I think that she would have. I think you're probably right. I think she probably would have. She's just as much an Iraqon as, or Iran, Iran hawk, sorry, as any other politician in the U.S. government. I don't see any current politician that would be able to be elected, honestly, not going this same sort of route. Maybe not actually going to full length and saying they are decertified. Oh, no, she absolutely wouldn't have decertified, but would have essentially said, yes, the deal is great, it's working exactly as it was supposed to, because it was limited to this one part of the scope, but here are all the other things that we need to do now that they are not doing. Yeah, definitely. They, I think that that would definitely be the case. And I think that you have a large MEK presence in the United States. Uh, the MEK is a opposition group in Iran. We used to classify them as terrorists, and then they came to the U.S. and gave large amounts of money to politicians, and now we don't classify them as terrorists anymore. Which, to be fair, they did stop blowing stuff up in Iran, which is nice. That being said, they're not representative of Iran anymore. I don't think there's a single electable person in the United States that wouldn't have to, at some point, push for a stricter posture against Iran and I just, but the problem that I get to is I don't know how they do that. Obviously, military option is off the table. Well, I shouldn't say obviously. We have a president that wouldn't understand that. And the only other tool in the U.S. bag are sanctions. So what what do you think they would do? Well, there's sanctions, but there is also just increased diplomatic pressure in general. Um, there are more tools than simply just sanctions and military options. Yeah, but you're talking about tools with teeth. Those are really the only things that you could you could pull a hugo chavez and go to the un and berate the evils that are the great satan in the world or you could pull a bb netanyahu and bring a nice uh, chart with a big bomb on it and say this is how long they have until they get a bomb Pro like cartoon bomb yeah, exactly but I, I don't think that those actually do anything um and i think that even though we don't consider a lot of politi politicians results oriented of course, the current president of the U.S. is definitely not results-oriented. Most presidents well, he's, are. He's short-term results-oriented, at least, insofar as his own image is concerned. True, true. You're right. I shouldn't have said he's not results-oriented. He is incredibly myopically short-term-oriented. But most presidents are medium-term-oriented, and they'll look at it and they'll go, well, what can we actually do? To that end, I don't think there is anything that they can do. And this is going to be a systemic problem that's going to span longer than Donald Trump as well. Because even if we completely, even if we decertify them, send it to Congress, and I don't think Congress actually does anything about this. I think they just kind of sit on it. That was actually one thing that I was going to bring up with you as well, is now that this is essentially in Congress's hands, because he 
didn't technically decertify, right? He just sort of said, well, they're not really living up to it. Congress, you do something. Um, he technically did decertify them, but okay. by decertifying them, he just sent the like the punishment thing to Congress, saying, well, now, Congress, you do your thing. Not saying what the thing was really supposed to be. But does it actually seem like they're going to reimpose? Because I can't imagine that most of them actually would, now that they have to essentially face up to their own, for lack of a better word, lie about the Iran deal, because it's not actually as bad as what the vast majority of them were saying. Um, despite its shortfalls, but they will have to basically own it and say, we don't have any better options, so we'll have to keep it going. I hope so. I don't think, I think that politically it'd be impossible for them to get something accomplished, And but that's only because the Congresses can't decide on anything. They couldn't decide. If I walked in there and I said, I am a human being, they probably wouldn't be able to vote that to truth either, which, to, to their, you know, credit, I might not be a human being, who knows, but... I don't think they could resolve anything, no matter how politically easy it would be. I think that this being so politically charged just brings on a whole new level of impossibility to be able to touch. And so I don't think that this is something that they do not want to act on, but something that they just cannot act on. But what if the president decides to pressure them regarding this? I mean, it's it's one thing for them to just kind of do nothing as that deadline passes and then just kind of not impose sanctions. Well, like pressure them how, just though? This weird... Just heckle or? Well, t- Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> how else does he pressure people? Yeah. By just tweeting at them angrily. Well, I mean. But if he starts saying, you know, Congress, you need to do this, you need to do that, do you think they'll finally just say, sorry, bud, we're not going to do that? I don't know. I would hope that they'd have more backbone than that, but they've shown that they don't. Well, I don't know. Now that um, this new, I guess, healthcare law, more of a stopgap measure, really, um, now that that is a bipartisan effort that's starting to go through Congress, it seems like they're finally starting to say on these very critical matters that that we just cannot do what he wants us to do. We have to do this instead. Yeah, I don't think they consider it this, though. I don't don't think that's going to lose them votes at home. The reason why they're doing that is because... When that gets back to the public, they're going to lose votes and they're going to be elected out. So they're doing that to cover their own butts. I don't think that anyone cares about foreign policy that much. And so if they don't act on this, if they just use a congressional uh, pocket veto, no one's going to do anything. And no, I, even if uh, President Trump hoots and hollers and yells and writes about it and kofefes, it's <laughs> nothing's... I don't think they're really going to do anything because nobody is going to vote for them or not. Well, a large amount of people are not going to vote or not vote for them due to their Iran policy. I might, but there are a lot of other people that will not. (laughs) See, but isn't that kind of an argument in favor of why they would decide to push back? Because honestly, how many people care that much about Iran? I mean, sure... Some people are really upset about the deal, but for the most part, if they went back and said, well, the reality is we just have to live with it now, most people would probably shrug their shoulders and go, well, okay, I guess I don't really care. What are you going to do about my taxes and health care? Oh, because I think they're just closing their eyes and hoping it goes away. This is the damned if you do, there's nothing that happens if you don't. So if they do not do anything, the U.S. public is going to completely forget about it. They're not going to remember where Iran is on a map, let alone that there's an issue going on with them. 
If they mm-hmm. start to bring this up, though, and they start getting uh, Donald Trump upset at them, or he has a small little, I don't know, midnight tweet about it or something, then it can get explosive. And But I think that their strategy at this point would be the closing your eyes, sticking your fingers in your ears and going la 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 la. Because as long as they delay on it, no one's going to care about it. If they do act on it, people will care about it. I think it's going to be very, very interesting what happens in Iran as well, because as I said earlier, Iran is in the perfect, absolute perfect position to exploit this. They look mm-hmm. like the kid in school who's like the A student doing all their homework, and everyone say, they say, you know what, you do this and we'll get... we'll." We'll be able to push you through. And then there's the one U.S. bully that comes up and goes, nah, I'm going to make fun of him. And as long as they look like they continue to fill their part and they continue to get their A's on their tests and yada, 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 the rest of the classroom for this example is going to look at him and go, that Iran kid, he's, you know what? He's not near as bad as that Bibi Netanyahu or that... Donald Trump made us think he is. He's He seems much more rational than either of them. I would rather deal with them or with him than I would with them. And so as long as Rouhani plays this off as we are the victims, but that being said, we will continue to comply because we hold our word, I think that they are going to attract a lot of business from China, from India, and from the EU. Obviously, the Middle East is going to shun them because they're not Arab, and the United States is going to try to make his life as hard as possible for them, but the United States' share in the global market is shrinking. Exactly. And part of that is inevitable, right? I mean, the rise of other great powers that are rising because of the system of the liberal international order that the United States and many other nations helped found for the express purpose of lifting most of the world out of extreme poverty. Um, of course, the United States market share is going to diminish, but um, I mean, at the same time, it just, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense short of, I guess, just that ego stroking sort of like, I want this, essentially the president wants to use this as a way to stir up his base. And so there's no other good rational explanation, right? I mean, one of the frustrating things is that people and news organizations especially still want to try to rationalize this behavior. Yeah. And there is no, if you have even the slightest understanding of the situation and of international politics, there is no good rational reason for just doing exactly what you said, going back on our word and making us look like the ones who are essentially the bad guys in this situation. I completely agree with because you. Even though Iran is still doing bad things, and everyone knows it, and they should be held accountable for those bad things. That wasn't the point of this deal, and everybody knows it. Yeah, they're they, and that should be said. Iran is still has an atrocious human rights record. They are still doing incorrect things when it comes to the um, uh, ICBM treaties. They still have, they still actively support some terrorist organizations around the world, or who might call. So, if you read my article, you see I don't like the word terrorist, but say they support like Hezbollah and stuff like that. But that's all being overlooked because of how hyped this agreement was 
and the absolute how well the Iranians stuck to the agreement and how badly they're being treated by the major superpowers who they've always called the evil empires, the Israel and the United States, and they are being treated very poorly by them. Yeah, so I, yeah, you know, and I will say though to invoke someone who is not here today, Mister Kurt Gunner. Kurt, I think one of the first times we had this uh, uh, podcast said to me, I had said, oh, I think that maybe Donald Trump wants us to go back to a spheres of influence model. And Kurt said, you know what, Stephen, I do not think that he knows what the spheres of influence model is. And I kind of started paying attention to that more. And I think you're completely correct that everyone is trying to rationalize Donald Trump's foreign policy on this. Well, he's trying to do this. Well, he's trying to do that. But you're completely right. All he's doing is playing to his base. There is no more subtle logic. There is no greater grand play. He has no true philosophy when it comes to international relations, maybe when not even when it comes to domestic politics. Both Kurt yeah. and you were right on that. No, exactly. And, I mean, you know, if it if it looks like someone doesn't know what they're talking about and and all signs point to this person doesn't know what they're talking about, then eventually it's just going to be obvious you know it's like it's like putting an average person in a surgery ward trying to perform brain surgery like they can try to rationalize and be like no no i I got this trust me you know i I know what i'm doing and it might fool people for a while but eventually they're going to start to be like i just don't think you really know what you're doing (laughs) and sure not everyone's going to get that but i think more and more at least i hope more and more it's going to start to come out as this is why we have politicians yes they're dishonest or they're misleading sometimes and and yes they predominantly want to get their own votes but they know what they're doing in many cases you know what nick that is actually going to be my next word that i'm going to go on my own little crusade or jihad against and that is going to be the word politician i think we should stop using the word politician start using the word statesperson and make them you know what you have a job to do and your job is to be a statesperson you're not a politician you don't have to cater to politics you have to cater to the state that that's an off-topic thing but yeah i like that i so what do you think that the policy towards the united states not for this president because i don't think as we discussed i don't think this president can have a policy for anything going forward but what do you think the next president the president that takes up the shoes of this one after he is hopefully voted out of office what should his policy be towards Iran at this point? Because we've completely, and Iran doesn't like us. No matter how conciliatory the next president is, Iran just doesn't like us. They've never liked us, and they will not like us, and that's just how it is. And I don't, at this point, I don't know how to avert outright hostility between the next president and Iran, even if neither want it. I'm starting to think that maybe the best policy is not much of a policy essentially one that is just that doesn't Muddling talk about through. it very much that basically says um you know makes it clear that that military options are not preferred obviously that diplomatic solutions are preferred but that just sort of doesn't talk about it very much to the public because you know we need that time to kind of pull back from this you know militaristic type of speech and i don't know i feel like the best one would be and I can't guarantee that this would actually happen because nobody knows what's going to happen anymore. This much is very painfully obvious to everyone. Um, But it would be one where the message is stability. 
you know, I, I can agree with you on that. I think my, I would go one step further. And if we are going to really renounce our role as trying to dominate everyone in the world, I think that we should specifically say to Iran, and this can be applied to a couple other countries as well, that we will not, we will specifically not try regime change and we accept the government style that you have. And that's going to piss a lot of U.S. people off. That's going to piss the NEK off. It's going to piss a couple politicians off. And those are politicians. Those are not states people because they'll lose votes. But I think that we go, if, if you go up to the next leader of Iran and you say to them, you know what? We're done trying to influence regional politics to the extent that it includes over, uh, overthrow of your regime. We will still back our allies in the region, and if you try to mess with our allies in the region, we will defend them, but our goals no longer include trying to right all of your wrongs within your own country. You are sovereign. Do what you think is okay for your own country. If you start a massacre, obviously we might intervene or something like that, but I mean, that's an entire different conversation, The responsibility to protect is that intervention or whatnot but yeah if we guarantee this country that we prefer amicable relations with them it's not going to help immediately but maybe two presidencies down the line maybe we start having a little bit sort of normalized relations with them I guess the last thing I kind of wanted to ask was about, um, I guess we touched on it a little bit, but Iranian internal politics. So what does this do for Iran? Is this going to make it a lot harder for the moderates to actually achieve their agenda, to have any credibility? And I mean, kind of, as you said, they're going to use this as a way to just pin the blame on the United States whenever anything goes wrong now. So what does it do for internally in Iran, especially given that the Ayatollah is pretty old, and there might have to be an election for a replacement here pretty soon. Oh, and I completely agree with you that this is going to make the lives of the moderates a living hell, because they staked all of their polit uh, international political, I guess, weight on this one issue, because they thought the United States is joining it with all these other countries. The P5 plus one, so the P permanent five... Um, in the Security Council plus Germany, no way are they going to go back on this. We're going to place all of our capital on this, and even though all the hardliners in our country don't want this agreement, and even the Ayatollah is kind of against it, we'll push for it. And if the United States break this agreement and it is spun the correct way in Iran, everyone's going to look at the Rouhanian administration and go, you guys are idiots for trying to pursue a docile foreign policy. We should go back to the stuff that, like, uh, Ahmadinejad had, or... But basically, their foreign policy consisted of trying to expand the Islamic Revolution. And why, if the only way that you will be safe, that you see you will be safe, is to expand your frontiers, that is what you're going to do. And that's what that's why they're trying what they're doing in Iraq. Uh, that's what they're trying, what they're doing in Syria, because it expands their borders and everyone's attention is on Iraq. It's on Syria. It's not exactly on Iran. And they have a little bit of 
leeway, a safety net in them. So I think that this could be this could devastate Iranian internal politics by destroying the uh, respectability of the moderates, which would be absolutely horrible. And in that, I keep pointing out to a couple of my friends that the conservatives for Iran are incredibly similar in the, that the conservatives for the United States, in that they both hate the JCPOA because they both think that it benefits the other country the most, and that the best way that these conservatives can see to undermine their liberal administrations is by getting rid of the JCPOA, which is mind-boggling how well the, both conservatives line up on that. Oh, I, I, I totally understand what you, what you mean by that, though. It's, yeah. It is striking that in many ways they benefit the same way from the failure of the deal. But I just, yeah, I don't understand how both of groups look at this and goes, it benefits the other country more. So the best way for me to get rid of it is to work with the people that we literally hate the most of the other country in trying to get it, get rid of it. Like, I, if the enemy of your enemy is even worse enemy, then maybe you shouldn't work with them. One other thing that was brought up about the Iranian response to this was Qassam Soleimani's, who's the head of the uh, Iranian Republican Guards, actually helped Iraq take um, Kirkuk from the Kurdish factions. And a lot of that is being billed as a FU to the United States, because obviously the Kurds are looked at basically as the Israelis of... I don't know, I want to say the Middle East, but obviously the Israelis are the Israelis in the Middle East, but basically that only the United States really supports them. Every other country doesn't think that they should be a country, so they have to rely completely on U.S. support, and Iran's best way of showing a middle finger to the U.S. was to help out the Iraqis by evicting them from Kirkuk, which... I think is absolutely stunning that this soon after a kind of a tense showdown between Iran and the U.S. on this JCPOA, Iran chooses to send its top general to Iraq to, which, I mean, you'd think that Iraq now is a U.S. ally, so they send their top general to a U.S. ally to help that U.S. ally evict another U.S. ally from a, from a city that they think is theirs. I mean, this is to say nothing of the Kirkuk issue, which is a lot more, I guess, uh, complicated than just the Iranian aspect of it. But it's a, I'm wondering if it's going to portend more Iranian aggressive actions in the future. And specifically Iranian aggress- aggressive actions towards or with Iraq. I mean, this should be extremely concerning that what should be a United States ally is now starting to work kind of closely with Iran. Right? Nobody's so, talking about it. Nobody's I mean, at, talking at what, about it. At what point are we going to kind of just lose this partnership with Iraq and essentially just have to pivot everything to the Kurds because they're the only ones left who actually want to work with us? Well, I mean, if we're pivoting to the Kurds, are we not just advocating for um, balkanization of several countries around there? I mean, we're just... We are invading the territorial sovereignty of Syria, Iran, Iraq, and Turkey at that point. And so we're, we can't really back 
the Kurds without really pissing off every other country around there. And exactly, oh. it's a, it's a losing strategy. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I I just I I don't understand how this wasn't a bigger issue in the United States that Iran helped a U.S. ally defeat a U.S. ally that mm-hmm. Iran was bold enough to send their top general to do this. You're talking about if something happens in uh, Bahrain, not Bahrain, what is it? Uh, Qatar. If something happens in Qatar, I th- definitely think you could see Iranian assistance at this point because Iran feels emboldened. They feel like it doesn't really matter what the U.S. says at this point. They have ostracized themselves from their relationships with their allies. They have ostracized themselves from their agreements. And so, unless the United States sends a carrier group over to bomb Tehran, no one is going to help them. And no one is going to help them try to defend these places where they're taking aggressive actions. So, I... Unfortunately, these aggressive actions are taking place almost everywhere in the middle east yeah and and there's and the united states clearly doesn't have a strategy to combat that or to reverse its to reverse the losses of united states influence oh, in the area strategy so it, it's manichaean to a horrible extent it's good and bad that's why we're helping the saudis in yemen i mean let's be honest no one is right in yemen there is not a single party which is correct in yemen but we decided to help out anyways because Iran bad, Saudi good. Mm-hmm. And I should, I guess I should um, kind of explain where I'm coming from for our listeners that, you know, sure, it does sound kind of uh, imperialist, what we're talking about, right? That the United States power over other countries is lessening and, and that sort of thing. Um, but I think the justification for a lot of it is if there isn't a security guarantor like the United States, who comes in to fill that void? Well, other countries that we've seen a pattern of behavior where they really do not have the best interests of a lot of people in mind. And yes, that could be said about the United States in some cases too. But if you have, you know, actors like Russia coming in and pouring their influence into a region, they clearly don't seem to care as much about the basic fundamentals of human rights and democracy and that sort of thing. Yeah. Even to the faults that the United States has, they're far worse. Yeah, and I'd it. call the U.S. ignorantly benevolent in that sense. We are. I think that's a fantastic phrase for it. Yeah, it's we we we're we're absolutely stupid and heavy-handed when we try to help, but we're actually trying to help. These other countries are going in there, and these are countries that are a little bit more a little bit a lot more authoritarian than the United States could ever be. And so they have long-term plans, and they don't really care about the long-term effects that it has on the countries that they're going in, besides the effects that they want them to have. So China has a 10-year plan. They just had their done, or they just finished their uh, CCCP party meeting, and they came out of that with a definite plan. They're putting bases in Djibouti. They're putting uh, the largest naval base that China has, foreign naval base, is in Oh my gosh, where is it? Pakistan. I mean, so you're seeing a lot of foreign influence in here from actors that you've never seen before. And it's not something that the U.S. particularly tries to do. We try to promote stability. That is the thing that we try to do is stability. These other countries are trying to promote their interests. 
we see our interests as global interests. I hope, at least, we see our interests as global interests. All these other countries see their interests as their interests. Russia wants their interests. China wants their interests. U.S. wants... The U.S. thinks that everyone can benefit from everything, so we want everyone to succeed. Hooray! And that's it for this episode of the Orientalist Express podcast. I'd like to thank our lone guest, Stephen, for his insight and analysis, as well as our listeners and readers of the blog. Be sure to check out our website at orientalistexpress.com, like and share on our Facebook group, or tweet us at orientalistexp. Thanks again, we'll see you next time. Bye!